Good evening, everyone. So let's just take a moment to settle in together. Again, feeling the contact of your feet or parts of your body connecting to the floor through this building and into the earth. Rooting ourselves down and remembering our belonging to this planet and to each other. Feeling our interconnectedness regardless of where we come from, what our histories are, what our experiences are, what our traumas are. Just remembering that we belong to each other. So thank you for that. You know, the Buddha once gave a sermon where it was, he would just held up this um, freshly picked lotus flower up and just held it. And that was the sermon. I couldn't find a lotus flower tonight, so <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to make this up as I go along. I wanted to hold up one of those spork things in the kitchen just to see what reactions you all would have to that practice of patience. So I'm going to start off with this, probably one of the only notes I have on this talk, but it's from uh, Naguma. Don't think about your teacher or your practice. Don't think about what is real or not real. Don't think about anything at all. Don't control what you experience. Just rest in how things are. Well, that's what I've been doing for the last day. <laughs> Just resting in how things are. As some of you who have experienced my teachings know that I, I don't really write Dharma talks. Um, I think so much of my practice and, um, is around being present and just being with what arises and trusting emergence from that. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. The theme is basically about going against the stream. And so even for me, doing a talk without any sort of notes is kind of going against the stream of how um, I see a lot of, you know, beloved teachers teach. And the more I try to write something down, like, I just can't do it, you know. And I've suffered so much, and I continue to suffer, um, with this sense of I need to do it a certain way. And when I can just rest and trust that, and, and I say this quote all the time to people, like when I teach, is like, everything you need to know is already inside of you. That's actually kind of the punchline of this whole retreat. <laughs> and so, I'm just gonna go with that, and let's see where we go from here. I usually like to start off in the context of like my own story. And so um, when I was about five years old, I realized, and at that age, I, I grew up um, in the early 60s, I mean, in the late 60s, um, a lot of how I felt about myself didn't have words to it. Like I didn't know any language or labels or names to call it. But what I realized was that um, there was something innately wrong with me. What I felt at that tender age was that God had put me in the wrong body. And I had to figure out some way to like be in this life, feeling like how I saw myself on the inside was not how I manifested on the outside. And so that's kind of like my core belief about myself. 
was that there was something innately wrong with me. And that belief carried through the rest of my life. And my way of surviving, or what I thought as a child, the way to survive was to be anything but myself. And what that meant for me was that I would become whatever everyone else expected of me, whether it be my parents or my friends, um, just to meet their expectations because I felt the only way I was going to get acceptance and love was to be something other than who I was. And so that played out for a good while in my life until I actually found the Dharma. You know, I recognized that what impacted a lot of how I showed up in relationships was pleasing the other person or being who the other person wanted me to be. And I would only show that person the good sides of myself. And I suppressed all the sides of me that would feel angry or depressed or sad. Because who wants to be with somebody like that? And so when I discovered that I was not being true to myself, I was not fully being who I really was and hiding myself from other people, that I recognized the suffering that came from that, the suffering of never feeling like I could get my needs met or the suffering of never being able to ask for support, you know, because I was always about, I can do this on my own, I don't need anybody else, but I will be there for everybody else. And in that recognition, it required a level of vulnerability that I had to begin to show people actually who I was. I actually had to like allow myself to have the feelings that I wouldn't allow myself to have. I had to practice being angry. I had to practice being sad. I had to practice being depressed. And it wasn't easy, and it didn't feel good. And so when I you know, first started going on retreats with Tara you know, 20-something years ago, um, I just recognized just like how difficult it was. And so as I sit here 20 years later and um, in front of all of you and just witnessing and listening to and watching how you're working with all these waves of suffering and uh, pain and challenge and joy and celebration, it's really inspiring, but it's not easy. And so, um, so this path that we're on, you know, the fact that you all chose to come here for a week versus like take a vacation at the beach or, you know, <laughs> go to Kripalu or like do something more, you know, fun, I guess. Um, <laughs> just really shows me that you're a little off, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But you have to kind of be, I think, a little off to be on this path, you know, because not many people do it. And for good reason, because it's hard. It really is. So I actually have a song about that. <laughs> and um, it goes like this. Duka, duka, down, doobie, do, down, down. Duka, duka, down, doobie, do, down, down. Duka, duka, down, doobie, do, down, down. Waking up is hard to do. Don't take my pain away from me. Let me live my life in misery. Because if it goes, then I'll be blue. Because waking up is hard to do. Remember when my mind is tight. And it keeps me up through the night. Come on, Buddha, get a clue. Because waking up is hard to do. They say that waking up is hard to do. Why just one arrow when there can be two? 
Don't say my suffering can end. Instead of waking up, I want to be a couch potato again. I beg of you, just let me cry. Wise effort, I don't want to try. Come on, Buddha, it's just you. Cause waking up is hard to do. Doobie doo down, down. Duka duka down, doobie doo down, down. Duka duka down, doobie doo down, down. Waking up is hard to do. Keep clapping, I have like 45 more minutes. Um, <laughs> so what, not only is waking up hard to do, giving a Dharma talk is super hard to do on the fly. So, um, yeah, and, and the thing about it is, it's like when you really think about it, like the instructions are super simple, right? All we're doing is asking you to sit still, breathe, and just watch what happens, right? And, but it's really hard, and it's because our minds are just what they are. It's just the nature of them to just think thoughts, and unfortunately, they don't default to like really good thoughts, they tend to default to not-so-good thoughts, uh, sometimes unwholesome thoughts or painful thoughts or memories. And so going you know, against the stream is to like, notice that the conditioning is in that direction. And in order to wake up, we need to cultivate um, qualities that uh, sort of rewire you know, these neuropathways in our brains because it's not the natural way. You know, we've created these really strong ruts of self-loathing or um, doubt or fear or anger you know, that, that's, that are inside of us. And so I often call, and I said this in, in some of my groups, that this practice is really one of constantly forgetting and remembering. You know? Like we oftentimes will forget and we'll just get into this trance that Tara often talks about. And it's when we can actually remember. And for me, it's like when I can remember that I'm suffering in this moment, that I can turn it around. But for many of us, like suffering is just the baseline of our existence. You know, that's kind of like how we think things are. And we forget that it actually can not be that way. So I have another little song. I always feel like Dharma talk should be like the um, prime time, you know, hour of like entertainment and so that's what you're going to get from me tonight <laughs> so here's this song about just like how we live our lives and what can help us remember um, excuse the seasonal tune dashing through this life towards some unreal goal tired filled with strife Nothing fills our bowl, wondering what it's for, this striving to succeed. Life can be a bore, so this is what you need. Oh, mindful bells, mindful bells, <laughs> minders to be kind. Remembering to laugh and sing is what you need to keep in mind. Mindful bells, mindful bells, help us to wake up. To love ourselves with all our hearts is sometimes a bit tough. Practicing is hard to sit with all that comes. Watching without guard, stories and where they're from. Trusting in my truth, knowing that I'm wise. Discerning what is underneath that ego-filled disguise. Oh, mindful bells, mindful bells, reminders to be kind. Remembering to laugh and sing is what to keep in mind. Mindful bells, mindful bells, help us to wake up. To love ourselves with all our hearts is sometimes a bit tough. (laughs) 
I'm trying. <laughs> and that, like for me, you know, to, um, I would go on all these retreats and they just seemed so depressing, you know? It's, it's, it's kind of like everybody's walking around and, you know, and I know, I know in my heart of hearts, like everybody's going through stuff, you know? And I love, the, you know, the invitation Tara often gives around, like, allowing there to be a smile, you know, on our faces. And I, I really dare all of you to smile, like, <laughs> throughout this, the rest of this retreat. Like, holding both, because it, it is about, to me, you know, as Kate was talking about in her equanimity, it's like, how can we hold and allow, you know, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows to coexist with each other, you know? Sometimes we... Uh, it's like we're just extreme. It's like either the ten, it's like 20,000 sorrows and two joys, or, you know, like 10 joys and 40 sorrows. You know, it just varies. But to le- for me, really going against the stream means to like, how can I, even when I'm not feeling it, can I cultivate this sense of heart, this sense of um, compassion, you know, for the fact that, yes, I am struggling, but I... Um, am choosing as best I can to not spiral down. You know, I'm coming off of like three months of um, a depression and anxiety and grief um, that I really was just kind of stuck in for a while. And it was the greatest opportunity, actually, to, to practice self-compassion, to practice patience. To me, whatever arises in our lives is just an opportunity to practice something. And so um, to really allow myself to just like be, because you know, when we're going through things, just remembering that like we actually don't have any control on how long that's gonna be there for necessarily. You know? Sometimes we can rain on it and it'll go away pretty quickly and sometimes we can rain on it for weeks and it's like, oh my God, it's like a monsoon. It just won't <laughs> stop, right? And so how to like really, um, allow ourselves to just drop in long enough to like just be with it, you know? And, and there are times when I'm experiencing an emotion or going through, um, or listening to somebody actually going through a difficult situation in their lives. And um, you ever find that sometimes you just can't understand like what they're going through or like sometimes there's like a lack of empathy there? Oh, it's just me. Okay, so, <laughs> so when that happens, it's usually um, when the universe is like, oh, okay, La, so here's what loneliness feels like. You know? Or here's what depression feels like. And when, you know, it's, it's like that walking in someone else's shoes, and it's like when I can actually feel what that feels like, it's like, oh, yeah, that is really hard. That is really painful, you know? And it kind of just then develops that that empathy from there. So there are certain ways to like, you know, working with these thoughts that we have and it's just What I'm aware of right now is uh, a little fear. Aware of right now is this grasping for, oh, well, if I just sing them another song, they'll be with me. Aware of right now that, yeah, just a little feeling of embarrassment and shame. I'm also aware of a tenderness of remembering that I'm just doing the best I can. Creating a story of like, oh, this is not what they were expecting, La, what were you thinking? Another story of like, I don't understand why Tara keeps asking me to do these retreats. 
I'm just reflecting on, you know, my primary mentor and teacher, you know, is like a rock star in the Dharma world. You know, he gives these beautifully crafted talks and, and I just show up and hope for the best. <laughs> so just noticing, like, just these waves of what's coming through right now and trying to find myself again, noticing that, you know, those are the stories that bring me down. Those are the stories that uh, diminish me. And there's a part of me that remembers, like, that's not who I am. Like, I actually do know that I have gold. I mean, I'm a Leo, you know, so <laughs> I love myself. <laughs> I have to love myself. <laughs> um, and the thing about it is, it's like I actually do, you know? And I'm, here I am sitting in front of 99 people, like not knowing what I'm doing. You know, we live in a world where everybody like expects that we should know what we're doing all the time. And it's like, okay, I can feel that wave of shame, but I don't have to hold on to it. It's like we're all friends here. I love all of you. I care about all of you. And I just... The world is too verbal. <laughs> a friend of mine texted me this morning and I was telling her I was here teaching the retreat and she said, you know, all you have to do is just look out at them and just smile at them and just let them feel your heart. Now, I grew up in a family where um, we can talk about stuff like this, you know? We were shown love, but we weren't told love. And for me, you know, so much of my practice and coming up, you know, through the Dharma has been... Um, it's sort of like, as soon as I got the instructions of how to meditate, like, I hated listening to guided meditations. I'm like, shut up, I'm trying to meditate, you know? <laughs> and now that I'm mentoring, like, all these people to try to teach people how to, you know, meditate, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I should have listened. <laughs> And that's the thing, too, that I, I, I so want to empower in all of you. It's like, you know, I reminded my groups of this this morning. It's like, we are just offering you, like, a myriad of ways to wake up through instructions, through practices, through embodiment, through movement. And ultimately, like, you get to decide how that plays out for you, like, what works for you, you know? whether it be, you know, deepening in Buddhist, you know, sutta studies, or if it's a lot of sitting, or if it's a lot of, you know, movement practice. For some people, it's chanting. You know, I'll just be really honest with you. It's like, I, I'm not a big sitter, you know? It's not how I practice. And there's like a part of me that's like, well, you should, you know, like it's obvious you don't. But, you know, <laughs> there are so many people in this world that are so awake and free that have never sat down. You know? So for me, you know, and, and there's no judgment. It's really about like how, how people like do themselves and how people know themselves well enough. You know, like I have like, no, um, I have very uh, poor reading comprehension. I've always had this. Remember when you were a kid in my generation, like you took those Iowa tests, you know, standardized tests? Like, 
when it came to the reading comprehension, I just could not do it. And so it's never been like a diagnosed thing, like a learning disability for me, but there's like so much like shame around, like, oh, I should be retaining things that I read, but I just can't. And so just this acceptance of like, okay, here's my limitation. Like, let me find another way, you know. And what I've, I've, I've found is like, I ask myself these four questions as I'm going through my life, you know, and so I feel like I integrate mindfulness into everyday life. And the four questions are, is my heart open or closed? Am I feeling connected or disconnected? Am I free or am I suffering? And I'm, am I empowered or am I disempowered? You know, so when I feel like my heart is closed, I'm feeling disconnected, I'm suffering, and I'm feeling disempowered, it's like, oh, how do I take care of myself here? You know? And maybe it's not about constantly putting out and giving. You know? In a lot of ways, I feel like um, I allowed myself to get swept up you know, into being a retreat manager and a teacher, and um, maybe sooner than I was ready for. Selling earlier today that I, I sometimes feel like, um, you know, that little kid who, like, in first grade, you know, gets, keeps getting passed on, but they still can't read. You know? And I'm graduating from high school, and I'm like, wow, I'm still, still not sure if I'm, I can do this or not. And that's just more story that I tell myself. You know? And so how do I allow myself to get that the different ways that I show up in the world are enough, that are okay. You know, to be able to offer just presence or holding space for people, you know, to just be who they are. I've taught teen retreats for the past, you know, seven years, and when I first got asked to teach these retreats, you know, um, person that asked me said, you know, La, I love the way you teach. I think you'd be great with teenagers. Do you have any experience with them? And I said, I have absolutely no experience with them, and I'm quite afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like I had to do it, because that's a part of, like, this is a pact that I have my, with myself. It was like part of my practice is like, if it scares you, you have to walk towards it. Like, you have to stop running away from it like you always do. So even teaching, you know, like, teaching for me is not a passion. It's a practice. It's a practice of, like, walking towards my fear. It's a practice of being vulnerable. It's a practice of um, compassion, of allowing myself to be seen, which is something that I've always longed for in my life, because I forever felt like nobody ever really sees me. You know? I feel invisible, or f I feel confusing to people. You know? Whenever, I was a, when I was a little kid, and even to this day, I'd walk into you know, uh, a gendered bathroom, and people would say, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong bathroom. You know, are you a boy or a girl? Well, I'm kind of all of it. And I know what bathroom I'm going into, thank you very much. <laughs> so it's a way of just continuing to just show up as I am. And it was interesting, you know, growing up, um, my parents immigrated here from the Philippines, and one of the first things I remember them telling us was that, you know, you need to be um, like the white people. If you want to survive in this country, you, like, you have to be like them. Don't worry about these other people. You just have to be like them. So not only was I suppressing my gender identity and my sexual orientation, I also had to like, hide my race. And so, you know, like that story I told you at the very beginning of the retreat, where like when I first walked into Tara's class, you know, other than the Buddha sitting next to her, I was the only other person of color. It was like 
there was a, a, a sense of specialness in being the only one. And it wasn't until uh, about seven years later when IMCW, you know, uh, took on looking at why it wasn't a more diverse community that I started to like explore like these identities that I had denied of myself. And what was really interesting was when, you know, I started the People of Color and LGBTIQ Sanghas, my dear friends within the dominant uh, Sangha were like, you know, why are you separating yourselves out? Like, you know, we're all one. You know, I don't, I don't see you as a person of color. You know, like, or I'm as, I'm as brown as you are, you know, or white's a color. And quite honestly, like, the most... Um, sort of racist things that I, I've ever experienced in my life have happened in my own spiritual community. And I kind of get where people co are coming from, and it was just out of ignorance. But I finally was able to feel like how it hurt. You know? and so there was a period of time where I noticed myself um, putting my guard up, you know, to these people that I just, like, opened my arms to for a long time. It would be like... I know you're going to say something stupid, you know, or I, I know, like, it was just like this posture for, for a while. And when I was aware of that embodied posture, and I love the exercise that Tara did last night of, like, feeling what that posture is, it's like, this is not how I want to be going through the world. I want to be moving through the world with an open heart. And maybe, like, not a totally open heart or a totally closed heart. Um, I mentioned this in a group where it's like an off and on switch, you know, where it's like, um, let's upgrade to a dimmer switch. And so maybe it's like, you know, 30% open in this situation and then 80% open in a different situation. But to really like get like, that's not how I want to be moving through the world. And then I told myself, you know, Lod, like, it took you 40 years to, to, like, accept that you were a person of color. Like, give these white people a break. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it was just a really, you know, intense process for me to, like, get that, you know. There are so many things, you know, it's that line again. It's like there's so many things we don't know that we don't know. And for me, as a teacher, like my commitment is to like be fully who I am and like be and put out there what it is that I know when I have the energy and wherewithal to do it um, as my dana to uh, generosity to um, educate or to uh, help people understand better what they may not understand. Like, I'm not big on, like, diversity trainings and things like that. I, I, I feel, like, very disconnected to those kinds of things. And so I had this, like, idea. It's like, well, why don't you have these, like, gatherings law where you just, like, invite white folks to just, white, straight, cisgender folks just to come with and sit with you and then just have them ask you stuff and just share, like, you know, what is, what is the, like, the most... Um, curious thing you are, you know, question you have about someone like me. You know? And I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, 12 years ago. And there's something about this practice, you know, that just really allows for an opening. It really allows for um, this too, you know, like, and I love Tara's saying about like, you know, um, this belongs it all belongs. And when I feel that disconnection, it's like, how do I build in that connection again? How do I include challenging and difficult people, you know, into my loving kindness, into my life? 
And I think the, the biggest practices I've had, in, you know, for a long time, the, the difficult person in my loving kindness was my mom. You know, she was a really tough, uh, very strict, you know, um, mother and, you know, a lot of, like, high standards and expectations of me and my sister and um, a lot of projection, you know. It's like, you know, we came to this country to give you all a better life, so you be the doctor and you be the lawyer, you know. And my mother spoke to us, like, in this way um, where it was always in the imperative, you know, it was always a command. Like, do this, don't do that, be this, don't be that. I just felt this, like, stifling feeling in her presence. And she got breast cancer back in, like, 20, 2007. And then in uh, 2000, I think about... 15, um, I was at a month-long retreat at Spirit Rock, and she, uh, well, I got a knock on the door on retreat and basically was told that my mother had a terminal brain tumor, and I had to go home. And so I did, and my mother's prognosis was that, you know, she was only going to have four to six months to live. And so I decided, you know, in that moment, it's like, I have to like heal this relationship with my mother because I don't want her to die without me, you know, making amends or telling her what I needed to tell her. And because my, you know, parents were not very communicative, I found myself actually speaking to my mom as she was sleeping. And because her cognitive abilities weren't that great at that point anyway, you know, it was really a process of forgiveness for what she, what I perceived as um, ways that she harmed me and then ways that I have harmed her, asking for her forgiveness. My mother was a very devout Catholic and she prayed constantly. And in a lot of ways she prayed for us, you know, that we would have um, good lives. And in the year that my mother was um, dying, you know, I told her, you know, I need to have, you know, a major surgery, but I'm not going to have it until, you know, um, you pass, you know. So I scheduled this surgery beyond her pro um, prognosis date. And um, wouldn't you know it, like, she survived, you know, through there, and she was actually at my surgery. And... Um, and I said, you know, Mom, why do you think, like, you've, you've lived so much longer than, you know, you were um, predicted to? And she was like, I was waiting for you to have the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really, like, God, you know, my mom couldn't say, you know, I love you. My, my parents never told us they loved us. But that's what my mom would do, is like pray that she would live long enough to like see me through, to make sure that I was okay. Because soon after I had the surgery, she just started to decline. So, you know, what I got, you know, from my mom was this, you know, I perceived her as difficult, but she was just being who she was you know, and she was doing the best she can. And that's why, how I sort of meet a lot of the, the difficult, challenging, or people that I perceive as difficult and challenging in my life is to get, you know, something happened, you know, and has, there, has then manifested this person in this way right now. And can I grow my level of compassion to include them as they work through whatever it is they work through? So I really appreciated, you know, Kate's equanimity practice this afternoon around, you know, the phrase, I love you, you know, and I can't um, control your happiness or unhappiness. That's just so liberating. You know? 
And actually, for, to me, it's so empowering for the other person, you know, because it's like, um, as best they can, they need to rely on themselves to be free. You know, and for some, that means a lot more support. I'm going to sing some more. <laughs> so this one is about, um, yeah, just the, the chaos that can sometimes happen in our minds. Up in our minds we think lots of things, some inspiring, some that sting, believing the stories we know so well, the ones that cause suffering and make it hell. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Up in our minds we think lots of things, some inspiring and some that sting. It lives in our bodies, hearts, and minds through the practice of being kind. Having compassion is pure and whole. Dispelling harm is part of the goal. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Up in our minds we think lots of things, some inspiring and some that sting. When we remember we are just good, get rid of the words can't and should. Accepting what is is the thing that's hard. Life is not a hallmark card. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Oh, no, no, just let it go. Up in our minds we think lots of things, some inspiring and some that sting. And more letting go. When the weather in well, sorry. When the weather inside is frightful, trust the Dharma so delightful. Sorry, I'm in the wrong key. When your thoughts are lower than low, let it go, let it go, let it go. The habit of mind is dicey, unguarded. Thoughts get spicy, so with diligence you can know. Let it go, let it go, let it go. If we practice with all our heart to accept all that life sends our way, to hone our skillful means, mindfulness never betrays. Have trust. Why can't I sing? It's so weird. <laughs> Have have trust and faith in your practice <laughs> to know what's true and honest when you can go with the flow. Let it go, let it go, let it go. So that's another thing. It's like, I can't really sing that well, but it's like, what the hell? So this is for all of you. And in times when we feel doubtful of who we are and sometimes even why we exist. You're insecure, don't know what for. You'll find your way once you walk through the Dharma door. Don't need ego to cover up. Be in the way that you are is enough. Everyone else in the hall can see it. Everyone else but you. Yogi, you light up the world like nobody else. The way that you free your mind undoes overwhelm. And when you smile from your heart, it ain't hard to tell. We all know, uh-oh, that's what makes you beautiful. <laughs> If only you saw what we could see, you'll understand it's on you to be truly free. Right now's the time to let go so you can believe and thus know, oh, oh that's what makes you beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. So um, I'm running out of juice, and what I'm aware of is um, 
a little tightness right here in my chest, a little lump in my throat. Mind is judging a lot. Mind is judging me a lot. Mind is thinking I've let you down. More stories. So when I get caught up in those stories, I ask myself, so what actually just happened that precipitated these stories? What just happened is I just showed up, paid attention, spoke my truth, and let go of the outcome. What my intention was for offering this talk was to share a little bit about my own journey. Maybe it will resonate with someone else. Maybe it'll help someone breathe a little bit easier. Maybe it'll irritate some people. Maybe it'll piss people off, like what a waste of a Dharma talk. It's okay, it's okay, buddy. It's not a waste, you just showed up. And that's all you're asking them to do. No matter how imperfect or unprepared or vulnerable, it's okay. Because we don't really get to do a lot of that out there. But we can totally do that in here. And may that deepen trust to keep going against the stream. Just imagining a world where we can be imperfect, that we can make mistakes, that we can not be ready, and that we can feel scared and doubtful and insecure along the way. What if we lived in the world where we could actually be human? where we can actually hold each other with kindness and compassion. And unconditional love. That's the world I want to live in. Sorry, so is the great Bodhisattva Dory from Finding Nemo say? <laughs> Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. <laughs> I find the Dharma everywhere. It's like, because it's where it is. May you all keep swimming.
I think we need some ice cream. <laughs> or dairy-free dessert, for whatever, gluten-free. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.